morning, everybody. This bright, sunny day, so different from a week ago. And I'm feeling better. I just had a cold, and um, we kept our, my temperature was always under 97, so it didn't look to me like it was anything serious outside of that my head felt like it was twice the size it should be. And I still kind of, I guess I sound kind of stuffy this morning, and I may have to stop sometimes to drink some water and to blow my nose, but I'll try not to try not to let it run or do anything weird. But anyways, here we are. Amen. Um, this morning's class is going to be on our dysfunctional conscience, and um, these are areas. Sometimes, if you don't think about. Like I said the last time, if we could only see in the spirit realm, if I could just pull down a, a thing, you know, like they do when you're studying anatomy and say, okay, this is where this is and this is, wouldn't that be fun if we could just see in the, see our, how our spirits really work in conjunction with our bodies? I think that would be such a cool thing to actually see, you know, well, here's where the conscience is located and here's where your emotions are and you know, connected to that is this, and I think that would be really cool, but we can't see it, so we have to just trust God that he's going to be our guide. When I was thinking about this class, I was thinking about two things that happened almost simultaneously before Clarence and I got married. His first thing was his van, which had 300,000 miles on it, from 3,017, some crazy number. Um, he had a gas gauge that did not work. Do you remember that? I remember what I was doing. So he had to calculate how many miles before he would run out of gas. So he always knew, you know, well, it's getting to be about 275. I should probably fill up. I, on the other hand, my car, I had a wonderful Honda Civic, one of the small ones, 1998, bought it brand new. I put every mile on it, and uh, toward the end of its little life, the speedometer stopped working. And I really didn't want to put money into it at that point. My daughter had already put a huge dent in it when she started to drive. And, you know, it just wasn't, it seemed to me like soon I would have to replace the car. So I didn't really want to put money in the speedometer. But I had, when they first came out with um, the driver detection things, you know, now we have like um, Siri that can help us get places and stuff like that. But I had a TomTom. For my GPS and it also had the speedometer on it so I said it I always had it on when I drove because if it, I went over the speed it would move so I knew that that was my new gauge was if the cow moved that I needed to slow down in our conscience see both cases we had to compensate for a vital part of our vehicle that didn't work and sometimes when we have a conscience that doesn't work, we have to do the same thing. We have to compensate for it. Our consciences might not be working perfectly, and we may not even be aware of it because we've just compensated for it all this time. You know, we compensate for our consciences not working. We reason away things. Um, we feel guilty sometimes if you're perpetually feeling guilty. That's your conscience needs a real overhaul. And I can say that because I walked around with perpetual guilt all the time. If anything ever went wrong, I felt like I was responsible for it. Once I got set free of it, I maybe went over on the other side where I didn't 
feel like anything I did was wrong. Now I think I'm back in the middle. I'm back where I should be with my conscience. Amen? Um, Romans 2, 12 and 12 through 16 says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witnesses, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Okay, the laws of God are written on everybody's heart. God has written them on everybody's heart. How do we get saved? We get saved because our consciences get pricked. And we say, oh my goodness, I need help. And we see the darkness of our heart in that moment. And we bow our knee and we accept the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and we become born again at that moment. But we still need work in the conscience area. But the laws of God are written on everybody's conscience. We can see in, in this country that basically this country is a seared conscience. Right is wrong, wrong is right. But our conscience is not our soul, it's not our heart. It's a different area. It's closely connected. Like I said, if we could pull down and I could just point to where it was, it'd be kind of fun. It's the place, our conscience is the place where our words, motives, and actives, actions are examined. If, I, if it's working properly, we receive the information from it and we act, and we act according to it. We don't control our conscience if it's working properly. If it's dysfunctional, then we control it because we refuse to listen to it. We receive the information from it and we act accordingly. Both the Holy Spirit and our soul can influence the conscience. If we're spirit-led, it says in, in Romans, that if we walk in the spirit, we shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Well, if we're walking in the spirit, then it's the spirit that's giving the information to the conscience, not the soul. The soul, we can't trust the soul because it's our mind, our will, and our emotions. The big thing is the emotions. Second big thing is our will. Third big thing is our mind. But the main thing in trusting our soul to be the conscience is that we lie to ourselves all the time. We don't, we don't want to admit that we're liars, but we can lie to ourselves. And some people, both faith and a clear conscience work together to give us confidence toward God. And it says that in, in 1 John 3, I think it's 15 through 18. I, I'm not going to read it, but you can write that down. It says if our, if our conscience condemn us not, we read that last week. But some people say when they've done something, they say, well, God knows my heart. How many have known it or said it? Don't raise your hand. Know somebody or have actually said that, well, God knows my heart. What they are doing or have done something that they shouldn't have done. They say, well, God knows my heart. Yes, God does certainly know our hearts, doesn't he? And he wants to help us, but sometimes he cannot help us because we refuse to look at ourselves. We refuse to look at our behavior. And Jeremiah 17, 9 nailed it as far as the heart goes. 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, God knows our heart. So the next time somebody says, well, God knows my heart, it's like, yeah, he does. And maybe you better examine it and ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's in your heart so you can repent and get that right. Amen? I mean, we've all said things like that. Well, God knows my heart. Yeah. This is the conscience class. The world says, follow your heart. Okay, Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful. Why would you want to follow your heart if it's deceiving you? See, we have to be so careful sometimes that we don't get sucked up into the platitudes of what the world says. God says, follow me. He doesn't say, follow your heart. Your heart can tell you all these things. I was married twice before I married Clarence. I finally got it right. Both times, I can tell you, walking one walking down the aisle, one walking down a path, that while I was doing it, my conscience was saying, don't do it. But I did it anyway. How many of you have ever done something that your conscience is telling you, don't do it, but you do it anyway? I think we could all raise our hand on that. See, God is, and I was a sinner both times. I hadn't been born again, but my conscience was still trying to help me by saying, don't do that. Why? Because the laws of God were written on my heart. Everybody out there, when, they're, when, when we go before God, see, the laws of God are written on everybody's heart. But our conscience is where we decide, when we make that decision to listen to our conscience, then we can make start making better decisions with that. The heart is a poor compass and can lead to wrong if it's not submitted. We have to submit our consciences to the Lord. And we have to submit our heart. We have to learn how to submit. And we have to ask God every day, God, is there something that I'm not seeing? How Do you, do you know that we all have blind spots? In, our, in ourselves. That's why it's great when you're married because you have somebody who can tell you because they're pretty close to you and they can tell you something. Sometimes they don't like it, but sometimes their wife is right. <laughs> we can't help that, can we? <laughs> Definition of conscience. It tells you what is right and wrong and impels you toward right action. A conscience that is lining up properly will line up with your conduct. That's the short end. That's the short definition. From the Vines Expository Dictionary, it says a co-knowledge with yourself. I thought that was a good, a good way. We kind of know where we are spiritually and, you know, how we treat people, what we're thinking. We kind of know that. So it's a co-knowledge. Our conscience is trying to help us. The witness born to one's conduct by conscience, that faculty by which we apprehend the will of God as that which is designed to govern our lives. Hence, the sense of guiltiness before God, and that's Hebrews 10, 1 through 4, or B, that process of thought which distinguishes what, is, what it considers morally good or bad, commending the good, condemning the bad, and prompting us to do good and to avoid the bad. So that's Vine's explanation of it. In Mark 3, 24 and 25, it says, If a kingdom is divided and rebelling against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. 
And if a house is divided, split into factions and rebelling against itself, that house will not be able to last. And I submit to you, if your conscience isn't clear, then it's going to be your, your house divided. Because your conscience is going to be dysfunctional two ways. It's either going to tell you everything you're doing is wrong or everything you're doing is right. So your house is going to be divided because in the meantime, you're trying to be a Christian. So a house divided cannot stand. That's why it's so important to look at our consciences and clean them up and make sure that they're working properly. And you can't judge whether you're in right standing with God if you are in affliction or not. Okay? Because some people think, oh, you know, they got sick. They, they must be wrong, wrong with God. They opened up a door to that. No. If your spirit is telling you, is telling your conscience that everything is all right, that's how you know you're in right standing with God. I mean, look at all the people in our congregation who are afflicted right now. You can't tell me that they're all not right with God, that they've opened up some kind of a door. I mean, that's just so terrible to say that. How can you say that with people that are dealing with chronic illness or things? No, that's not how you tell when you're right with God. You tell if you're right with God as if your conscience tells you that you're right with God. So you need a clear conscience. Because then, if you've got a dysfunctional one, they'll tell you you're right with God, or they'll tell you you're not right with God. So that's why we need to know what the function of our conscience is and let the Holy Spirit put the input in it, not our emotions and not our soul. Amen? It says, and, and I'll just tell you this, in Psalm 13, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So right there, okay, so if there's afflictions going on, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. So if you're sick or if you're going through something, just check your conscience. You know, maybe you did open up the door. Maybe you went out without your hat on or you did something that you shouldn't have done or you didn't get enough sleep or, you know, all right, that's enough. <laughs> maybe you did something. So repent and just move on. But just because somebody's afflicted does not mean they're out of the will of God. It says in Psalm 50, 15, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. So, you know, if you're the type of person that sometimes when somebody gets sick, it's like, ooh, I wonder what they did. Stop it. Stop it. Afflictions do not, that's not your gauge for whether somebody's right with God or not. That's where I come from at the, the church. That, you know, if you were afflicted, oh, you know, I had this one woman that used to pray, you know, oh, for, you know, forgive their sins and do this and that. If they were sick and it's like, I have a cold. Can we pray for the cold? You know, just get out of that thinking every time something happens that it's, you know, they're out of the will of God. No, they're being afflicted. Sometimes we have to have a little bit of trouble in our lives so that we can grow mature and Grow spiritually. You know, you have to flex that muscle sometimes. We have to flex our faith muscle sometimes and see where we're at. Acts 24.16 says, 
Therefore, I always exercise and discipline myself, mortifying my body, deadening my carnal affection, bodily appetites, and worldly desires, endeavoring in all, all respects to have a clear, unshakable, blameless conscience, void of offense toward of God and toward men. That was the Apostle Paul speaking. I want to have a blameless conscience, void of offense toward God and toward men. Well, he went and persecuted Christians. He could feel like a worm all the days of his life. But you know what? He got it right with God. God forgave him. And it was set in the past, and that's it. That's the way we need to be with people. If they offend us, if we offend somebody, we get it straightened out, and then we put it in the past. Don't let those past things come up in your life and just keep dogging and dogging and dogging. They're trying to get your conscience to get out of, out of balance. So this is how a properly working conscience is. First of all, the Holy Spirit sends a message to your conscience. Romans 9.1 I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience, enlightened and prompted by the Holy Spirit, bearing witness with me. So the Holy Spirit is our teacher and he's our guide. He's not our conscience. Okay, don't confuse the two. The conscience is in some area in our spirit. But he gives our conscience the facts about what is right and what is wrong, and he encourages us to do the right thing. So that's the job of the Holy Spirit. See, he's not our conscience. He couldn't be our conscience, because then we wouldn't have direction over it. Our conscience is part of that soul area. So the second thing is, all right, he sends a message, repent, repent. Number two, the message gets received by the conscience. The conscience gets an agreement with the Holy Spirit. Hey, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry I said that about the hat. Last week was about your shoes. This time is about you not wearing a hat and getting a cold. Um... So the conscience speaks to your heart, your thoughts and feelings. Your heart, your thoughts and feelings get into agreement with your conscience and obeys it. Will you forgive me? Yes, I'll forgive you. Okay, so what happens to that thing that the Holy Spirit was trying to get you to repent of? It's gone. I use a new app on my phone, DuckDuckGo, instead of, um, instead of Google. And it's got a little fire thing in the middle, so when I'm done browsing, I touch it and it just burns up my history. When we say we're sorry, we repent. And we really mean it. God just takes it and poof, it's gone. So it's off your conscience. But see what happens if you ignore the conscience, we'll get to that in a minute. But your conscience, your heart gets into agreement, and you obey, you repent, it's gone. But your eye, your conscience, stays single or clear. We're going to read that scripture in a little while. A good conscience will always bear witness with the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, right now they're trying to get white people to be sorry that they were white. You know, I have a clear conscience about that. And I know you do too because we understand that none of us had a choice when we were born what we were born. My conscience is clear. You're not going to get me to ever ask anybody to forgive me for my whiteness. 
Amen? Why? I have a clear conscience about it. I know who made me. God made me like this. I can't apologize for something that God has done. Amen? So I have a clear conscience in that area, and I hope you do too. I hope you're not bowing to, to the spirit of this age that wants everybody who's white to, to feel guilty about something that they didn't even do. So that's a properly working conscience. Improperly working conscience, or a seared conscience. Same thing, Holy Spirit sends the message. Oops, you shouldn't have said that. Two, my conscience is seared. It's hard. Have you ever burned yourself and you saw what happened? You got a callus right away. It says it's seared as a hot iron. It gets callous. Well, okay. Your conscience is seared, so the message is not comprehended according to how it's dysfunctional. So, I say something wrong. Holy Spirit sends a message. You better repent. But it says in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their consciences seared with a hot iron. Mark with a branding iron. They brand the cows. They sear it. Make callous or unfeeling. So what happens after that if my conscience is seared, my heart, my thoughts and feelings receive no constructive input from the conscience? It's not like you might as well not have one, but it's, you have one, but it's not working. Just like I walked down the aisle knowing I shouldn't be walking down the aisle, but I did it anyways. My conscience was seared. My heart then acts the conscience and relies on how it thinks and feels to make decisions. That's what happens when you have a, a seared conscience. Is your heart then acts as your conscience. In other words, your emotions tell you what to do. I'm following my heart. So you have a seared conscience if you follow your heart. So we say to ourselves, I know that God says I should forgive. I know I shouldn't lie. I know I shouldn't have said that. But I feel in my case, God understands. God knows. Okay, no. Please understand, there are no exceptions to God's law whatsoever. There's no, you're not the exception. You're the rule. You're not the exception. Everybody has to follow God's rules. And number five, then what happens? Your eye or your conscience is dark. How do we know if our consciences are working? People with clear consciences can look other people in the eye. Have you ever seen anybody who can't look you in the eye? They're, they're ashamed of something, or there's something going on that's not right, because they won't look you in the eye. They'll look away, though. The eye in this passage is used to metaphorically represent ethical qualities. It says in Luke 11, 34, 36, no one after lighting the lamp puts it in a cellar or crypt or under a bushel measure but on a lampstand that those who are coming in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye, your conscience, is sound and fulfilling its office, your whole body is full of life. But when it is not sound and not fulfilling its office, your body is full of darkness. Be careful, therefore, that the light that is in you is not darkness. 
If then your entire body is illuminated, having no dark part, it will be wholly bright and light, as when a lamp with its bright rays give you light. Also, you can put this down if you're taking notes. Uh, Matthew 6, 21 through 24. Light from Vine's Dictionary says, Light requires an organ adapted for its reception. Where the eye is absent or where it is impaired from any cause, light is useless. You can take a blind person in here and shine a light on their eye, and no matter how bright the light is, they're not going to be able to see it. When your conscience is that bad, when you're that seared, you won't be able to see the light. That's why we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to keep our consciences clean. The eye is the practical judgment, the conscience, which is two other faculties of the soul, is the natural eye, is to the body. Both are used to guide and direct their motion. So your eye, metaphorically, is the same as your eye. We have to see in order to go. We need to see in our conscience areas in order to behave properly. Jesus said in Matthew 8, he said, once more when they had taken the, the lady in adultery, this is John 8, 2 through 12, and the Pharisees had taken her in adultery. At the end of that, once more Jesus addressed the crowd. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not be walking in the dark, but will have the light, which is life. If you remember the story, he started to write down something in the sand. And as he wrote, the Pharisees put down their rocks one by one, and they left. And he said, woman, where are your, where are your accusers? And she said, I, just you, Lord, because I don't accuse you. Why? Because his eye was clear. He said, I am the light of the world. And he told her to go and sin no more. A seared conscience causes hypocrisy or double-mindedness. In Titus 1, 15, 16, it says, To the pure in heart and conscience, all things are pure. But to the defiled and corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Their very minds and consciences are defiled and polluted. They profess to know God, but deny and disown and renounce him by what they do. They are detestable and loathsome, unbelieving and disobedient and disloyal and rebellious, and they are unfit and worthless for good work of any kind. It's our character that's mostly important to God. Not what we do. I mean, obviously what we do. But it's mostly our character is what's important. Do we have the character of Christ? This is these classes are devoted to character. It's for us to see and to, to see our character. We can say we love Jesus all we want, but what is our character? What do we do when nobody else is watching or when we think nobody's watching? What do we listen to? What do we think on? What do we say? I mean, that goes for even if you're married and you're living with somebody. You can have a seared conscience. You can hide things. We're, we're expert at hiding things that we don't want anybody else to see. But see, God turns the light on there. And he says, this is wrong, you need to repent. So thank God for the Holy Spirit, amen. It says, our motivation should be to, to please God. 
But let's, I want to talk for a little bit about the fear of the Lord. Because if we have a healthy fear of the Lord, a lot of these problems will just go away because it's not like God is going to come with us, you know, with some kind of celestial baseball bat to get us. But we have respect for God, so we don't want to offend him. Amen? Proverbs 1.7 says, The reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord is the beginning and principal and choice part of knowledge. It's starting point in its essence. But fools despise skillful and godly wisdom, instruction, and discipline. Fear of the Lord is reverential respect for God and his character. God is not crude or rude, and he doesn't expect us as his redeemed to treat him dishonorably. We should tremble when we disregard the Holy Spirit and treat it flippantly. See, God sent us the Holy Spirit to guide, to, to help us, and he guides us by our consciences is one way. Another way he guides us is he speaks directly, but it filters through in our conscience area. We have to be sure that our motives are right, even though we can do the right thing. If our motive isn't right, we'll reap no rewards for the actions. To dissimulate means to disguise or conceal under a false appearance, to conceal one's true motives, thoughts, or etc. by a pretense, to speak or act hypocritically. It says in Romans 12, 9, Let your love be without dissimulation. Hate what is evil, cleave to that which is good. Amen? James 1, 8, A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. James 4, 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Oh, your heart, purify your heart. Wait, I'm going to follow my heart. No, you're not going to follow your heart. You're going to purify your heart, and you're going to let your conscience work properly. Amen? We're going to follow the conscience that's being motivated by the Holy Spirit. And double-minded just means two-spirited. Motive is everything. Our motive is everything. So this is conviction. We've got conviction, condemnation, and non-convicting conscience. First of all, conviction. This is what you will get in a functional conscience. We've all received conviction. The reason we're sitting in this room today is because at one point we got convicted of our sins and we bow our knee to Jesus Christ. So a functioning conscience will hear from the Holy Ghost and obey what he is saying. If you ignore the prompting of the Holy Ghost and do what you were going to do anyway, you will still get convicted. Okay? You will still get convicted. He will still continue to speak to you about it. Sometimes you lose a couple nights sleep about it if you don't do it. But eventually, if your conscience is working right, you will repent of it. You'll get convicted and take your sin to the cross and resolve it as soon as possible. So that draws draw you near to God. Why? That's what it says in James 4.8. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your heart. So true conviction is... We say that the Holy Spirit says you shouldn't have done that. We resolve it. That's conviction. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how all of our consciences are supposed to go. Okay, condemnation, which is what a lot of people deal with because they don't they don't know 
Condemnation accuses you of always being a sinner, although you have asked for forgiveness multiple times. And a lot of times we have a, a person who's enforcing this too because they're always bringing up stuff that you did, bringing up embarrassings, bringing up stuff where you did, you did, and you've asked for forgiveness multiple times, but this person can't get it out because they keep convicting you, they keep condemning you of it. Condemnation pushes you away from God's grace. It's never resolved and it always controls you. Because that person will just make you feel guilty. They'll just keep bringing it up and bringing it up. It could have happened 30 years ago and they're bringing it up still. You're not that same person that you used to be. We've all made mistakes that we're ashamed of. Amen? Everybody's done something that they're ashamed of. Hopefully we're not making a lifestyle. But we've all got things in our past that we're not really proud of. So that's condemnation. And sometimes we can ask God to forgive us and forgive us. But we just don't seem to receive it. And this is your condemnation with your conscience. And you need to get free of that. You need to understand that the blood of Jesus has paid for that. You don't have to beat yourself up over your past mistakes. Okay, here's your non-convicting conscience. The Holy Spirit tells you what you're doing is sin, but you turn a deaf ear to him. You're letting your heart be your guide. God knows. You reason your way into sin. So we have to be properly humble because that keeps us out of either of those camps. So we always ask, we always, repentance is the first thing. That's one of the major things in Christianity is true repentance and humility. It, it's not going to hurt you none to repent. You feel good after. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, that you soared to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the word, world worketh death. See, sometimes you can be sorry and you're in that condemning mindset because you're always sorry all the time, but you haven't repented. You haven't repented unto salvation. You can be sorry for something and just hold on to that guilt like it's super glued to you. God says, I've already forgiven you 30 years ago for that. When are you going to let it go? Because you just keep bringing it up and bringing it up. And even you might not even have an enforcer, but your own mind might be the enforcer. And enforcing that incident, it's time to let it go. So that your conscience can stop condemning you. There's nothing worse than a, a conscience that is continually condemning somebody. So it says, after, for behold, the self-same thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort... What carefulness is wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this manner. If you ask God to forgive you for something and the devil's using it to whip you, this is a good morning to get it off of you. To never again be harassed by it. So we're going to first talk about the condemning conscience. 
This type of conscience tells you that you are never right and you're always wrong. I had one of those. They're not easy to live with. I'm never right. I'm always wrong. Nobody's always right. Nobody's always wrong. But if you have a conscience that works the way mine did, you're going to be always wrong all the time. And you could see how that really affects everything that you do. Because I would never be able to stand up here and minister if I had a condemning conscience because I'd have to be just dissecting everything I said. Well, did I say that right? Did I hurt anybody's feelings? No, I just get up here and blast it out. And then the way you guys receive it is is the way you receive it. Amen? But I can't stand up here with a, a conscience that's not working with me. So my condemning conscience... This person suffers from rejection, perfectionism, shame, and can be critical and judgmental toward other people. Anytime there is a conflict, the person with a guilty conscience feels responsible. This person was controlled and manipulated through their lives with fear tactics and intimidation. Unable to speak up for themselves, they're confused about right and wrong because they've been trained by wrong motives of manipulation. And when they finally do speak up, they feel guilty and disloyal, although they've done nothing wrong. And this was, this is part, if you've been abused, you maybe can relate to this. Because the first thing they say is, don't tell anybody. So now you're, now you're in league with the abuser. I've taken on, when I, I took on some of the guilt of the abuser by not saying anything. Because then you become in agreement with it. And so you might be suffering from guilt that you have no responsibility whatsoever with, but because you took on that responsibility to agree with them by not telling anybody, then you're taking on the same responsibility as if you yourselves had been the abuser. Do you, do you understand that? So some of you, I had a guilty conscience, not for what I did, well, part of for what I did, but also for my upbringing, for, for some of the things that happened to me growing up, because I was saying, don't tell anybody. So I got in agreement with that, and I was afraid. Every mistake made by this person is replayed over and over like a bad movie in their mind because of the training they received to control them. And also, my mother would go, well, what would other people think? I don't know what other, how would I know what other people would think? At one point, I said, Mom, on my tombstone, you're going to say, what would other people think? I mean, do other people spend that much time thinking about me? I doubt it. I'd hope that more people have a life than just thinking about what I'm doing. But that was my mother. What would other people think if they knew? And it wasn't even that bad of a thing either. I mean, it was like, I don't know. I mean, who has an answer for that when you're a kid? <laughs> you know? It's like, I don't know. But they're so conscious of other people's reaction, they don't realize that very few people notice. They're self-centered, overcritical. Even when they're doing what God had asked them to do, they're harassed by thoughts of not doing it well enough. In Galatians 3, 10 through 12, it says, For as many are as of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall not 
live in them. Okay, their past is a defense mechanism. Sometimes we can just, we, we've got to be able to go forward because we have to realize that Christ washed away all the guilt of your past. When you ask God to forgive you, he, he is good for his word. He forgives it. He never brings it up again. And if you've got somebody enforcing something in your life, you have to tell them to stop. You know, that was two years ago. That was 30 years ago. That was two minutes ago, and I've apologized. So you have a problem with it. You need to take it to the Lord, but I'm okay. And you need to get that militant about it if they are continuing to bring up things in your past that you know that you've asked God to forgive you for. Amen? Just tell them to stop. You know, I'm sorry that people are pointing to their bad childhoods, and I've said this many times. You know, they're in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, maybe even their 60s. And they're still pointing back to when they were 8 years old and they didn't get a puppy. You know, it's all my parents' fault. Well, I'm sorry, you know, get some therapy, get some help to get over it. I've apologized a thousand times, and I'm done apologizing. And I can tell you from experience that I've had to do that with my own. One of them, anyways. You know, I'm sorry. But this is the end of me saying I'm sorry for things that I am unable to change right now. It's in your court. If you feel like you're still traumatized by what happened to you in your childhood, then get some therapy. But I've apologized. God's forgiven me, and it's the end of it. Amen? Doesn't sound tough. You know, it might be tough, but it's not so tough if you're just continually harangued by your kids over something that you didn't, you had, you know, what can you do now? What can you do now? Eight years old? Come on. You know, now we're all older, way older. So we can't do anything about that. And they don't want you to do anything about it. They just want you, they just want to hold it over your head. And with this particular child, I said, wait till you have your own. Secretly, I said. <laughs> I didn't say it out loud. <laughs> so anyways, if you're under condemnation, you fail that you are in right standing with God through Jesus. It's not by your works, but it's by what Jesus has done for you. And this is why you have to get militant about it. If you've got a guilty con if you've got a guilty conscience, you have to say, Enough is enough. Amen. Enough is enough. You will know if you are in faith if you can rest and have peace about your circumstances. Don't be in unbelief because you think what you've done is too bad for God to forgive. God's forgiven murderers. He can certainly forgive you. Amen. God's forgiven a whole slew of things. He can certainly forgive what you did. Amen. And we need to forget. We need to forget what we've done. And then tell the enforcers in your life that it's over with. Why? Because a clear conscience and faith work together. Your prayers will stop being hindered. You'll be able to pre pray better with a clear conscience. You'll be freer. You'll smile more. Therefore, there is no condemnation, Romans 8.1. No, a judging guilty 
of wrong for those who are in Christ Jesus who live and walk not after the dictates of the flesh, but after the dictates of the spirit. John 3.18 is a promise. He who believes in him, who clings in, trusts in, relies on him, is not judged. He who trusts in him never comes up for judgment. For him there is no rejection, no condemnation. He incurs no damnation. But he who does not believe is judged already because he has been convicted and already received his sentence because he has not believed and trusted in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He is condemned for refusing to let his trust rest in Christ's name. Everyone in here believes in God. You trust in God. Trust in the fact that he has taken that from you. Ask God to erase the memory of that and get your conscience cleared. If you're guilty, you were, you were, we were all guilty once, but now we're set free. That's one of the messages of the gospel. We were all condemned once. We were all guilty once, but now we're free. Amen. He's forgiven us. The penalty has been paid. Moving on to number two, the unconvicting conscience. Everything this person does, says, or feels is always right and never wrong. They can be so frustrating because they're never wrong, ever. This person is used to controlling situations, may feel that they are entitled to the word for 2022, entitled to behave badly because it's them and they're special because of their position, background, or any excuse that they can find out. They're never wrong, ever, ever, ever. This person is full of excuses on why they are always right and they are most difficult to reach. In fact, if you are trying to get through to this person, you'd better pray. Because there's no getting through to them. I can tell you, I know, because my son is one of them. I can't get through to him no matter what. He's always right. His recollection is always right. He told his ex-wife that they, we didn't have any pictures of him. She was shocked. When I came down to visit them in 2012, I brought his baby album with all of his pictures. And she just looked at me and she said, he said that you didn't have any pictures of him when he was little. <laughs> I said, well, here's the proof. I said, this is him. And I can have it verified by his dad who lives across town here that these are him. This person cannot be reached by anybody but God. You need to pray. If you've got somebody who's always right, they're never wrong, and you know that they're not right, you just pray. and You ask God, Lord, send the conviction of the Holy Spirit. This person is very difficult for, to admit that they were ever wrong. They may admit it and then make an excuse for themselves. Well, yeah, I was wrong, but look what you did. <laughs> you know, or I had a bad childhood, or I, I, you know, I did this, or I did that. I mean, this this kind of con unconvicting conscience is rampant. It's it's almost like a disease in this society these days. These people are never wrong. I mean, part of this critical race theory is that only whites can be racist. That's not true. I mean that is that is so ridiculous. But they have this un, they have this unconvicting conscience that says everything they do is okay. That's why there's so much evil. 
They may appear to repent. They people they may appear even to repent to people in authority just to gain position. And we saw that in our infamous summer of love two summers ago, where we saw certain politicians kneeling, you know, in, in repentance over their whiteness. Well, it ain't happening here. This person knows that something they're going to do isn't right, but they do it anyway. This person rationalizes, reasons, ignores, and excuses their behavior. But this is an attempt to silence their conscience. They're always rationalizing. They're always making excuses. Why? Because excuses are a way that we can silence our conscience. See, the conscience, we were born with a conscience that was supposed to convict us and bring us closer to God. But when we ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit, then we start reasoning, we start doing, we start pointing the finger at other people. There's all kinds of things that we do just to keep our conscience quiet. You know, we blame others. We, we shift the blame that should have been ours to somebody else just because our consciences are always crying to be kept clean. Even somebody with an uncondemning conscience wants their conscience clean. That's why they're so hard to get along with because they're trying to clean it themselves. This person who has a non-convicting conscience will receive answers to his prayers according to the condition of the Spirit. And we see this in Ezekiel 14, 1-4. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that set it up, up his idols in his heart and puts the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him according to the multitude of his idols. So there's a big warning there for somebody who refuses to clean their conscience. As a Christian, we have no excuse why we cannot humble ourselves and repent. We need to have repentance. You can sin against your own conscience when you refuse to confront wrong and go along with it. And I've already talked about that with people that are abused in the past and will not say anything about it. They can be tormented by a guilty conscience. Not because of what they've done, but rather because somebody else has done. So we're trying to cover for them. Anytime you try to cover anything, your conscience is going to be screaming. Whether you cover for yourself, you cover for somebody else, your conscience is always trying to get you to do the right thing, always. And we have to keep it tender so that when our conscience speaks, we immediately respond to it. Hebrews 3, 7 through 13, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as happened in the rebellion of Israel, and their provocation and embitterment of me in the days of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tried my patience and tested my forbearance and found that I stood their test, and they saw my works for 40 years. And so I was provoked. And said, they always err and let astray in their hearts, and they have not perceived or recognized my ways, and become progressively better and more experimentally acquainted with them. See, sometimes we get tested so we can become more acquainted with the ways of God. 
Accordingly, I swore in my wrath and indignation, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, beware, brethren, take care, lest it be in any of you a wicked, unbelieving heart which refuses to cleave, trust, and rely on him, leading you to turn away and desert or stand aloof from the living God. But instead, warn, admonish, encourage, and urge one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you be hardened into settled rebellion by the deceitfulness of sins, by fraudulence, the strategy of the trickery which the delusional glamour of his sin may play on them. You know, sin has got a certain word to it. If it didn't, then it would be totally useless as a trick of the devil. If you could just look at sin and go, sin, I know that, and walk away. Well, no, it's got some glamour to it. It's got some draw to it. We're all, the Bible says that we're drawn away by our own lust. It's got a pull to it, and we have to be careful of it. Even now, even at our stage in life, we have to be careful that we don't get drawn away by sin. For we have become fellows with Christ the Messiah and share in all he has for us. If only we hold our first newborn confidence and original assured expectation, in virtue of which we are believers, firm and unshakable to the end. It's going to cost you to follow your conscience and not your emotions. <coughs> Excuse me. It's going to cost you because your emotions are always showing you the easy way out. The easy way. Who doesn't want the easy way? Your emotions will come to your defense when you want to do something wrong. That's why we have to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Your emotions will rationalize when you've already done something wrong. Your emotions will be there to pat you on the shoulder and go, it's okay. God understands. God knows. Keep your conscience tender. You only need to make sure you've dealt with what God is asking you to deal with. Keep it tender. Ask the Holy Spirit, what do I have to deal with? And then deal with that then let it go. You're right with God. Amen? Now tomorrow we might show you something different. Deal with it. It's like taking a shower. You take one more than one shower in your lifetime, right? I mean, hopefully we shower regularly. Why do we do that? Because we get dirty. The same way as when we go to the Holy Spirit in prayer, He cleanses us. He asks us. He he convicts us, so keep keep your conscience clean, and you'll be right with God. While God wants us to use our heads and not do foolish things, our carnal reasoning often gets in the way of what God wants us to do. Watch out for people who always have to justify their behavior, because their conscience is wrong, and they'll manipulate you. Those who complain that the world or other Christians are against them may be justifying their own rebellion and lack of submission. If somebody's got the world against them, then we need to examine it and say, well, maybe it's not you. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's not the world. Maybe you have some rejection in you. Maybe you feel a certain way because of what somebody said to you down the line. Now it's magnified. It's overtaken your conscience. So we have to remember. We have to watch our excuses and watch our reasoning. Reasoning is why, why we do what we do. 
or why we did something. It's an attempt to justify our behavior. And if our behavior does not line up with God's word, then there is no justification whatsoever for it. But God has mercy in that case. He's got grace and mercy. <coughs> Every person's conscience has a God-given need to be kept clean. The unsafe and the carnal Christian's way of cleaning his conscience is through self-justification. Don't be a self-justifier. Be the type of person, if you do something wrong, just own up to it. Amen? It says in 1 John 1, 9, If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises, and will forgive our sins, dismiss our lawlessness, and continuously cleanse us from all unrighteousness, everything not in conformity to his will and purpose, thought, and action. So he is faithful and just to forgive us. We just have to let it go. There's things you might have to let go this morning. There's things that maybe while I'm talking, you've identified. One more scripture. Hebrews 9, 12 through 14. He went once and for all into the Holy of Holies, not by virtue of the blood of goats and calves, by which to make reconciliation between God and man, but his own blood, having found and secured a complete redemption, an everlasting release for us. That's what the Amplified says. For if the mere sprinkling of unholy and defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a burnt heifer is sufficient for the purification of the body, how much more surely shall the blood of Christ, who by virtue of his eternal spirit, his own preexistent divine personality, has offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice to God, purify our consciences from dead works and lifeless observances to serve the everlasting God. Amen. If you've been dogged by a guilty conscience, let it go this morning. Amen. We're going to pray. Pastor, if you wouldn't mind coming up on the piano. And if you have an unconvicting conscience, then you better be a tough person and admit it this morning. Amen. And, and get rid of the fact that you're not always right. You're not always right. Nobody's right all the time except for God. And it wouldn't hurt you to humble yourself. Amen? And get that conscience cleared. And you will be a lot happier. Amen? So, Heavenly Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus. Father, everything that has dogged us, Father, from our past, that, Father, that we self, we, we self-condemn ourselves, that, we can't let go that somebody else is, is keeps bringing up about something we can't do anything about now. Father, there's a release in the Holy Spirit. Father, of everything that we just held on that we feel guilty for all the time. Father, that we release that guilt unto you in the name of Jesus. Father God, I thank you by the Holy Spirit that you continue to work in the lives of those who hear me, Father, that they learn how to, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and Father God, that they repent quickly and move on. And Father, we shut those doors of, of those incidents, Father, of those things in their mind where it just keeps bringing up and makes them sure that that's why their kids are bad people or not so good or whatever, Father, not even children or work people or whatever. Is, is in their mind, Father. We're shutting the door. 
to those incidents in the name of Jesus. And Father, we seal that door with the blood of the Lamb. Never, never to dog again. Never, ever to condemn again. Father, we thank you that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who walk in the Spirit. Father, we thank you for those maybe that haven't accepted Jesus. Lord, that their conscience would convict them and draw them to the Lord. Father, we just thank you. And for those, Father, that whose conscience has been so seared that they can't see that they're ever wrong, Father, I thank you that you take the Holy Spirit and apply the blood of the Lamb. And Father, that you would soften those consciences and make them soft and pliable once more. And God, we just thank you. We just give you praise, Father. We just give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, you know what? God is purifying. He purifies our minds, our conscience, our hearts, our motives. He's a purifier of all things. You know, thank God for the Spirit of the living God. That, that of course, was going over in my heart. She was ministering that word. You know, people are in bondage today. They're in bondage to the past. They're in bondage to hurts. They're in bondage to what people think about them. They're just in bondage. They're bound up in their spirit. It's difficult in a small community sometimes because everybody knows everybody. <laughs> and... Uh, Sometimes it's even difficult for those that have known somebody, then you know what kind of life they live. But then if they get saved, it's hard to receive that sometimes. Y'all ever found that to be so? But you know what? We're going to have to get the mind of Christ. Because when you look in the mirror, you say, if it wasn't for Christ, <laughs> where would I be? Oh, Spirit of the living God.
fresh move of God. Then we can just say, thank you, Lord. Amen. Oh, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul.